So this event uh, was very well done. Congratulate the Tila Dawas on their choreography. I remember the old days when you were in the sala, you kind of <laughs> you could uh, dignified dignified occasion, and it was hard to produce and. Such a space that this temple lends itself very well to to a kind of uh, ceremony to give them dignity and power. <coughs> we kind of like this afternoon we we we've come to to uh, participate and everybody participates just by being here. What formality, like cross-examination, would we find her acceptable or not? You know, <laughs> I've never seen anyone yet in the ceremony that wasn't accepted. <laughs> so it's never <laughs> happened. But the, it's a, you know, it's it's formal uh, witnessing to this. So it 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 has power on our consciousness. How we you know, it makes us all aware that <coughs> Jyotipanya has uh, taken this step. It's her own wish. It's her uh, request. There's no pressure or uh, intimidation. She, she's she been with us for many years at the Manigarika. And, uh, and then so she could, you know, see that this is how she wanted to uh, develop more of her life. And then they, we, we try to give that kind of opportunity because this life only works if you wanted to do, do it. You know, kind of force and monasticism is a tyranny. And uh, if you don't ask on and, and request and, and uh, May and see the value of it, and if I just force it, if I should make you all, all the women here in the Silaras right now through holding a gun to your heads, <laughs> and it's all good stuff, isn't it? Three refuges, ten precepts, and all that, but the, but the, uh, <coughs> I'm giving, you know, I'm forcing you to do something very good, but the, the, uh, but you lack that attitude of, of requesting, of, of giving yourself to it. You, you just feel intimidated and threatened and out of fear you, may, you might submit. Well, that mental state doesn't work, you know, for the, the holy life. Going <laughs> forth into, the, into this, this kind of life, it, it's... Uh, it isn't something that uh, one can force upon anyone. Like moral precepts themselves, uh, you know, we can use, there's a lot of, of, of a fear of moral precepts in the West. 
taking moral precepts because so much so morality has always been kind of like you go to hell if you don't keep moral precepts. There's always this sense of you'll be punished in some way for not keeping uh, for being immoral, and, you, and so there's a lot of pressure and intimidation towards morality. Where actually morality is, is, uh, is not something you can force upon people, you encourage them. You try to create society situations where they, they see the, the value of it, you know, so they ask for the precepts. They, uh, I, I never, we're forbidden, in fact, to say, you have to take the, the precepts. Even the five precepts. The, in the, even the ceremony, the formality of taking the five precepts, the lay people ask, would you please give us the five precepts? <coughs> so in uh, Buddhism, as, it, as it's developed in the time of the Buddha, there's the sequence of dana, sila, pavana, and and it's uh, so Buddhism reaches to all levels. It's a the religious form that that tries to reach people on all levels. The 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 basic the basis is dana or generosity. And so, if you've lived in a Buddhist country like Sri Lanka or Thailand or Laos, Cambodia, then then uh, the cultures there very much you find this. Uh, Generosity is a kind of, it's a cultural attitude that's instilled from the time you're born. It's that of giving, of generous, of ge being generous. And because this is in, in a Buddhist way of thinking, Buddhist way of looking at life, it is that this generosity is encouraged as a, as a beautiful human uh, act. Which gives us a lot of happiness. If generosity is spontaneous, then we have a lot of joy in our lives. <coughs> then, uh, but that you don't, you don't even have to keep moral precepts to be generous. I mean, this is you know reflect on this. It's not even say you know you can't be excommunicated from Buddhism. There's not nothing you can do that you would <laughs> that we could excommunicate you. So there's always the chance again, you know, even if you're the most the worst sinner, serial killer, uh, horrible person in the whole world, there's always the Buddhist monk would still encourage generosity of some sort. So just reflect on this. You know, this, this, this is a basis for for a Buddhist monastery, for example, or Buddhist uh, society. And then, and then the sila is something that that you have to, you know. So generosity is encouraged, is not demanded, but, but it's encouraged. And then, and then the sila comes out of that. Those that Let's see the value. You have to see the value. What's the, what's the point of keeping sila anyway? Because you're afraid of going to hell or being reborn as a frog or something, or you, you know, you, you'll be punished in some way. And one can present it that way. You don't keep the precepts, you'll have a terrible rebirth. And then, then we might, well, I better keep the precepts because out of fear. But actually, the the Buddhist path isn't one of intimidation but of encouragement. And, and this is where as we awaken and understand the situation we're in, we begin to realize that we want to take on this, this responsibility for how we, what we do, how we live our lives in the society. So the five, the panchasila, the five precepts is a, is a basic Standard, huh? and these are not like commandments, you know, that you that are presented to you like you have to keep these these rules. They are precepts to, to guide 
action and speech, behavior, in other words. <coughs> and then that, as you develop sense of responsibility and, and uh, move towards uh, good actions, then, the, then there are those that feel, have the need to practice meditation, a bhavana. So the bhavana then is, uh, is the Pali word for what we uh, translate generally as meditation, which is a English word meditation is, uh, you know, is a, a generic term for almost any kind of mental exercise. But um, bhavana is really cultivating internally, you know, like the Sila is about external action and speech, and Pavana is about understanding the way things are, the, uh, knowing the Dhamma. So, Pavana is, in, uh, is an investigation of experience. It's not, a, it's not an analysis. But it, it's good bhavana, right bhavana, then is, a, is like we, we have these in the Theravada school, the Satipatthana scripture, which is a kind of detailed uh, scripture that wa was uh, the teaching of the Buddha, four foundations of mindfulness. So this mindfulness is the, is the key word in Buddhist meditation. So, it's an it's a English translation, mindfulness also has its limits. Recognize you, you're translating uh, Pali Sanskrit into a language that, that is not Buddhist, hasn't developed out of Buddhist attitudes or Buddhist philosophy or Buddhist psychology. So there's a there's always a problem in translation <coughs> because uh, you know every culture has the assumptions that they make uh, and uh, and these are oftentimes not written out in in verbal they're just attitudes of mind that that are part of a cultural inheritance uh, so it's easy for us who come to Buddhism when we are well usually the Westerners most of us have chosen Buddhism as adults. We weren't brought up as Buddhists. So just speaking for myself, I have a, a Christian cultural mindset. I was brought up in, in, as a Christian and in a white middle class West Coast America. So this is a and so this has a certain uh, assumptions that one makes from this, from the, from this is a, a kind of inheritance, cultural inheritance you get, uh, that one tends to not notice. We can be inspired by Buddhist philosophy and, and Buddhist ideals and Buddhist concepts. But when it comes to pavana and, and practice, that we, we tend to drift back into the attitudes we've acquired from our own cultural background. And so it's, uh, it's interesting to see how, how Buddhism, how it develops in the Western world. Many of us trained in Thailand, so in, in order to do that, you, you had to, you had to, uh, you know, you went. You began to tune in to a to a different culture, in order to to live there and live in and learn from the the monastery. One had to kind of tune into it. It's just easy to misinterpret, misjudge things from just my my own cultural fix on life. It's easy to to, to see. You know get it wrong, that which happens in a Buddhist monastery in Thailand, to make the wrong interpretation. So it's, it's mindfulness then is, is, a, is not a cultural gift. It's not, 
it's a natural state of awareness, of openness in the present. And it's before you become anything. You know, you, that's where this, this trusting in awareness and in mindfulness is, is learning to open to life and reflect on, on experience, to see it, to, to be aware of what, what both externally and internally. So mindfulness then, if you if you trust in it, gets it will take you. It start you know it's natural. It's before you become an American or a Brit or anything like that. Before you you identify as a male or a female or anything at all. Before identity starts, you know it's it's before you become anything. So it's a, it's a natural state of, be, of being awake and being present. And of course, so this, is, this seems so simple, you know, in the explanation. But talking to, you know, from my own practice and talking to everyone else I, I know, it's, uh, it's easy to, to fall back into the old habits of thought, prejudices, attitudes, assumptions habits of mind, uh, because that, that's what we're used to. Even if we're used to really foolish and, and inferior ways of thinking or reacting to life, it's, it's easy to fall back, back into those, those because they're habitual. Habits are what we're used to, what's easy, what's easy for us to do. If it's habitual, then we, we don't have to think about it, we just do it that way creatures of habit. So a monastic form, like Siladara form, is, is, is a challenge to that because uh, we, you know, we have these habits and then now we're, we're adopting a form. And it, it's not even from our own culture. You know, it's not something that we can even make assumptions about through our cultural conditioning. It's a, it's a form that, that uh, from Asia. And even though the Buddhist teaching is a, a universal reality, yet the forms that have developed, because it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's survived and flourished in, on the Asian side of the world, not in the European. But that also can, it has an advantage in the fact that it reflects our own conditioning, assumptions, attitudes that we have, that we make, that, that propel us, that drive us, that influence our experience. To where more and more we begin to trust in the awareness of the present. So religion, a religious path, is a, is a total act of faith. You know, sadha, this, this Pali word sadha, and panya, faith and wisdom together, they're working uh, together with mindfulness. So mindfulness is like, like the kingpin, it's the, the, the center point, and then the balance takes place through awareness between faith and wisdom, sattā and panya. Well, for people with very critical, educated minds, uh, we, usually, we, usually, we, we usually don't have that much sattā, but we, are, we, are, we tend to incline towards the panya side of things. We develop, we can, we, we're discerning, we know you know, and, and in the Western mindset, we've got very strong views about what's right and wrong and good and bad and, and all that. You know, we, we come from a society with a very dualistic way of, of uh, experiencing life. You're either for us or against us, isn't it? You're the axis of evil, where is that? Not in the United States. And so you point over to Iraq, you know, and then <laughs> uh, evil is over there. And, and uh, that's the way that the thinking works. 
thinking, remember, is a very limited function of mental experience. You can only have one thought at a time. So that's why it's dualistic. You, know, you, you can't think two words, two thoughts at the same moment. Try it. <laughs> so you have to have one word come first, then the second word. You can't think A-B at the same time, isn't it? <laughs> <coughs> so thinking, and we, we tend, educated people tend to be very identified with thoughts and ideas and ideals, concepts, have views, and strong views and opinions. And, and this, of course, when you think about things too much, you'll end up always with doubt as a result. Because that's the limitation of thought. It doesn't, uh, you know, you can inspire your mind with good thoughts. If you think really good, beautiful thoughts, you'll feel inspired. Or you can depress yourself by thinking depressing negative thoughts. And so you can see the problems that we have here in, in Britain, uh, people think so much and then they, then it leads into worry, which is the kind of doubt. What's going to happen to me in the future, you know? What's going to happen, uh, you know, will I get my pension? Will it rain tomorrow? What will, you know, we, you know, the future is always, when you think about it, you don't know, so, and that not knowing leads to usually a fear or an anxiety or worry. Like going forth, Bapacha, like going forth into what? I'm talking to Sister Jyoti Panya after her ordination. Going forth into what? I asked her. You know, what? You know, it's going forth, but where are you going? And it, don't know. <laughs> But it is an act of faith, you know, and you think about, I was thinking during the ceremony, you know, someone that uh, comes from a nice, clean, secure country like Switzerland and gives up rights of ownership and control over money and all that kind of thing and uh, to live the life of an alms mendicant, you know, it, it sounds a bit crazy, actually. You know, it, it really... Uh, you know, one could consider this being, you know, really maybe very naive or idealistic thing to do. Or some even consider it irresponsible. You know, like, you, know, you expect us to feed you? Why don't you work for a living? Uh, people will say. I've been under attack many times. You expect wait, sit around this monastery and people come and feed you? You should go out and work, and uh, that's uh, that's the way the the the, the uh, materialistic mind thinks. You know, you've got you know you can't depend on faith. You've just got to go out and and get it. Make sure you've got I've got mine. I've got my wage. Got my rights. And so the the holy life. Alms mendicancy, monasticism in itself, oftentimes is misunderstood. Like some of you probably even think that here at Amarbati we live in a kind of like an ivory tower where we spend all our time in a state of bliss, you know, in the high states of meditation, in samadhi, and where we're, we're just in a state of peace and bliss all the time. And then, uh, you know, we, we have this form, so when you come here, we look fairly good, you know. We, we sit in rows, and we, we are pushing each other out of the way, and we've got developed system of etiquette, good manners, and all that to, to uh, have a fairly nice appearance as a community. But I know that the problems within a monastery are not around the Dhammavinya, that's rare that we have any great conflicts on that level, it's on the personal level. We all agree, you know, Dhammavinya, that's agreement. And so people that don't 
agree with that, wouldn't ask to, to live here, wouldn't want to be here. So we, we share that in common. But then, out of all these good people, well-intentioned monks and nuns that come and live here, there's conflict on a personal level. And so this is, this is uh, you know, we can, when we live together, then we, you know, we, we meet each other in, in so many different ways, assumptions, prejudice, biases. We're also very international. You don't even, you know, we don't even have a common cultural agreement. We have the agreement on Dhammavinya, but culturally we, we have different, uh, different cultural attitudes that influence us that influence behavior. So on the personal level, this is where we really hurt, you know, where, where life in a monastery can be uh, a living hell, just on a personal basis. Even though you've got, you're supported with dana, uh, you're keeping the sila, you're practicing bhavana, Everything is, you know, very good. It's all here, you know, great stuff. But be fall into a, a real hell realm because of personal feelings. So this is where the practice of mindfulness is necessary. You know, this awareness, because before we become personal, you know, this awareness embraces the the personal habits we have. Then the, then the form itself that we, we have in, in this tradition, it's, it, what it does, it provides boundaries for action and speech. So, like myself, coming from a, a rather um, hedonistic society, uh, where I, I lived in uh, on the west coast of the United States and, and, and many years in California. So you, you, the attitude in the early 60s was one of do whatever you feel like. You know, don't, don't limit yourself. Don't, don't be afraid to just go out and experiment and experience everything. And I remember having long conversations, drinking beer and smoking cigarettes, and and uh, long, interesting conversations about how you know you go out and you just experience life. You know, the idea was more of the the um, Zorba, the Greek type ideal. You know, you just full of life and joy, and you just live life to the full. You know, and this is a very attractive uh, symbol. You know. When you're when you're young, it's a very attractive ideal. So then, what do I do? After so many years of trying to, to follow Zorba, <laughs> I become a Buddhist monk in the most strict kind of monastic tradition. Why don't I choose a kind of looser form? <laughs> Why did I have to choose the, the Thai forest tradition, you know? <laughs> which is, is very strict in Vinaya on the, on the discipline level. And I, I deliberately chose it. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just by default. It was uh, deliberate uh, because I knew I needed, I needed something to to bounce off of, I needed a boundary because I didn't have any. If you lived like Zorba the Greek for too long, then you, you 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 lose a sense of boundary. You know, you just keep going and pushing beyond everything. So, and this, of course, led the result of this was confusion. It wasn't joy and happiness, but confusion, emotional confusion, and even. Self-hatred. A lot of self-hatred would arise. And 
Uh, so then going into the, the, this Thai forest tradition, where the boundaries are very clear, clearly defined um, in regards to action and speech. Well, that gave, that was like a relief in a way, because uh, I, and on that level, I was quite willing to, to do that. I wanted to do that. I knew I needed that. But then living in, the, in like with Lung Po Cha and the monks at Wat Pong was also, much as I loved Lung Po Cha, you know, on a personal level, sometimes I hated him. So, you, you know, he, if he, he'd frustrate me or he'd do things, and I just, he, you know, I could really get angry and outraged because at him, or at uh, or other monks, or lay people, or whatever. And if you're a foreigner, you know, you don't understand the language, and you, and you don't understand the custom, then yeah, it's very difficult, many of you know, trying to fit into a culture where you're learning, learning the, the language, and you don't quite understand the humor, or the jokes, or why people do things the way they do. And so you get very paranoid, at least I did, and start imagining, you know, all kinds of things. And projecting onto Lung Po Cha or the, or the other monks, you know, all kinds of rubbish from my own mind. But the boundaries, you know, they kept, the form kept me within this, I mean, because I, you do have a ceremony like we had this afternoon, so you make a strong commitment, and it isn't just like a, you know, temporary thing. You, it's not, you know, you can't, you know, you, you, if you go through all this and you learn all this, you make some kind of commitment which ho that holds you within the form, even when you don't like the form and you want to get out of it. So just by... Um, by that alone, you know, I, it gave me, it held me down within the, that situation to where I began to see my projections on Ajahn Chah or the Thai monks were something I created. Again, to know the difference between, you know, the way it is and what I think it is and how, well, how I project onto this moment or my own views and opinions. So that's developing panya, discernment, seeing things as they are. So the, the doubting mind, of course, I'm a great doubter, I'm a skeptic. Uh, that's, that's my disease. That's why I couldn't take on a, a, on a and believe in things very easily. People said, you have to believe in God, and I couldn't do it. Or believe in whatever, and I can't do it. The mind always goes into skepticism. And so this, this skeptical nature, and then uh, I began to see with his awareness, doubt as a mental state, as a result of thought. When you think, you're going to doubt. And so, if you, and if you attach to your thoughts and identify with your views and opinions and, and thoughts and emotional habits, then you're going to have doubt as an ongoing uh, experience of life. Unsureness, insecurity, worry, anxiety, <coughs> a lot of fear. So then I had the insight, stop thinking. And though I had that insight, when I was a Samanera, you've got to stop thinking. And how do you do that? <laughs> because then, then I, you know, you're trying to make yourself stop thinking as an act of will. So I kept trying to stop thinking, and then I became obsessed and, and thought a lot about not thinking.
because I still understood conceptually, you know, I understood the theory, had the insight, but I wasn't resting in awareness yet. I was still thinking about Buddhism and Buddha's teachings and and Buddha Dhamma and myself and Buddhist monasteries and bhavana practices and all this. And of course, the, the expatriate community in Thailand that, that, that practices meditation, it's a world of endless views and opinions. One thing I like about living with the Thai monks, they, they didn't do that. They, they more or less had a lot of faith. So Ajahn Chah would say, you know, you do this, you do that, you develop the jhanas and you do it this way, do it this way and that way. And then and the, the, the Thai monks seemed to have so much faith and trust in Ajahn Chah and then they were Buddhist on a cultural level, so they would just go ahead and do it. But most of us would say, well, I mean, you know, what a, why this and why that? And, <laughs> and then we'd read books and then they say, that you get caught up in this, this problem around effort, right effort. And then Krishnamurti, you'd read Krishnamurti and say, no effort. There shouldn't be any effort. And then, then, in the, then there's six kinds of effort in Theravada Buddhism. And the last one is grit your teeth and... And then I noticed most Westerners like that one. <laughs> Because that's oftentimes the way we do things, you know, just willful, bloody-mindedness of just making something happen out of, uh, out of force and aggression. I remember s sitting there trying to make my mind stop thinking and, and just get headaches and, and, get, and fall into despair and just not want to meditate anymore. Do anything rather than meditate. <laughs> so I started learning how to sew robes. I didn't even learn how to crochet. <laughs> I'd do anything. <laughs> anything I could distract myself with rather than, than meditate. But then the the, uh, but then, uh, fortunately, Lung Po Cha was a w wise teacher. So his encouragement was always to get me, was not telling me and intimidating me, but getting, getting me to look at myself. What am I actually feeling and thinking right now? And so then, uh, because that was the direction, he's always pointing that, I I began to, to get the point. I could see, began to look at my own, you know, the way I, I the, to me, meditation had become, the word meditation had become, you know, a, a willful act. You must meditate. You've got to get your samadhi, your concentration. And this is the way I held the, the concept of meditation. And, then, and because of that, then I feel guilty. How many hours do you meditate today? So I would get into, I want to, I want to, you know, I'm going to meditate so many hours a day, and I'm going to go on retreats where I can meditate all the time, maybe even give up sleeping. I took on the, the 13th Trudanga practice for a month, one time, which is where you don't, don't lie down. You know, so you, you have to sit up. You can't lie down and sleep. So all this, this, this me, effort of me and mine going into the practice was the, the habit tendencies. This was the way I, I learned to live, you know, in, in, in my life in, in the States. This is how we operated. You... You made yourself do things. If you wanted anything, you made it. Ha you make it happen. You do it, and then you you force the aggressive kind of effort. Put a lot of effort. Work hard. 
don't give up. Uh, not working is, is lazy. Uh, you've got to, you know, you've got to work hard in order to get a good result. Hard work pays off. Laziness is disgusting. The worker's ethic. The, the, the Protestant ethic, isn't it? And so this was, um, this was, and even though it, I, in some ways, I didn't really believe it, but yet this was the, the cultural attitude I grew up in. You know, this is this wasn't particularly, you know, something my parents uh, made a big point about or or something. But it was an attitude that seemed to be shared on a wide level in, in my generation in the place that I lived and grew up. So, living in in uh, Thailand, for example, Northeast Thailand, different kind of society. And uh, Thai society seems to be uh, much more, to 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 my mind, seems much more easygoing. So, so I question Ajahn Chah. I say, why why do we have to do all these morning pujas and evening pujas and all this chanting? You know, I just want to meditate. You know, I'm here to meditate and get to the real thing. You know, I don't want to waste my time with learning these languages. You know, you're just chanting like a parrot, you know, you don't even know what you're saying. You wrote memorize, and then, and then you, you, you can do, I have a good rote memory, I could, I, I can memorize anything. But then uh, it seemed to my mind like a waste of time. And he said, well, he said, this is, he said, this is the way we do it here. And he said, most of these monks wouldn't do anything if they didn't come to the morning and evening. <laughs> because they weren't so hard on themselves. You know, they, could, they didn't feel guilty about not doing anything. You know, they, could, they, could, they, weren't, they didn't have that compulsive obsession that I had. So, so uh, and and so the, you know, I, and I, I began to see that, and I, then I began to look down on them. I'm better than they are. You know, somebody that works hard despises somebody that doesn't seem to work very hard. Then you develop a kind of supercilious arrogance. You know, I'm I'm you know I'm a much better monk than they are. But with mindfulness, you begin to see this, you know, you, to, you know, and the Buddhist teachings are pointing at this. One teaching, you know, that, uh, you know, about the, I'm worse than you, I'm better than you, or I'm just the same as you. They're all wrong. So, you know, in, in, uh, in Thailand, it's, uh, hierarchical society. So there's seniority and there's a lot of respect for parents and authority and, and structures of that nature. Well, being an egalitarian American, we're brought up to, to despise hierarchies. You know, so you, you kind of, you know, you think basically you assume that it, because it's hierarchical, it's bad. So I remember when I first went to Asia in the Peace Corps, and and uh, we Peace Corps, we were all very idealistic, you know, young, youthful Americans, uh, very idealistic, going out to you know to really give ourselves to the third world to help out where they needed help. And we weren't going to be like the British with their class structure. And we went. I went to a, a, a British colony in Sabah, North Borneo. And it had just been liberated from the British about a week before I arrived. And, and so it had been given over to the Federation of Malaysia. So, but they still had all the British uh, civil servants there when, for the two years that I lived there. And of course there was a, a conflict between the British civil servants and the American Peace Corps. 
Because we were very idealistic, and you know, we're all the same, and there shouldn't be any class structure and racial differences. And, and, uh, and a lot of these, the old colonial British, had strong views about all this. You know, so they, you know, they kept their own, you know, they had their country club and their social life and, and uh, their views about the natives and so forth and that were in conflict with this ideal of equality. Then going to, to uh, the Thai monastery several years later, uh, I was put into a hierarchy you know, the monastic form. And then I began to, because it wasn't based on, on race or anything like that, it was based on seniority. So it wasn't so personal, it was just a matter of who ordains first. Uh, and so there's a senior and there's a, the new monk, there's the novices and new monks and middle monks and Mahateras, the very senior ones. And Unlike this, and then your you, your structure of uh, etiquette is based around this. So I began to to see the value of it. one thing. I found the structure was very uh, made life easy, because if you if you're too idealistic about equality, then there's always something wrong with it. Because most situations it doesn't work. You know, so you you've got to allow somebody to go through the door first. Uh, it's like thought, you know, you, you can't have all words appearing at the same moment. So, uh, and then, then the point with awareness, and it, this would reflect my own attitudes of equality. Because in many ways, as I was saying before, I, I, I'd have these moments where I felt I was better than the Thai monks. I worked harder, I really practiced hard. I began to see that there was this sense of arrogance that I created. And then, there, then somebody else would be better at meditation than I am. You know, you get some other, you know, stronger-willed Western monk, or even some Thai monk who very, you know, really, as Thai they say, gang, gang mark. They just really, you know, tough as nails, and I feel inferior. <laughs> oh, I can't do that. I'm not like that. I can't. He's really good, but I, I'm a wimp compared to him. So then you, you feel, feel this, uh, you begin to notice this, this, uh, this sense of inferiority, superiority, then the American mind say, we're all the same, all equal. But then still a sense of, it's still a concept, isn't it? It's still an idea, and it's an ideal. So it doesn't work. It's, it's not the way things are. Ideals are created into consciousness. Or thoughts of being inferior. That's something I create. Nobody was saying I was inferior. I would assume that because I felt inferior. Or I'm the one that said I'm better than you are. Nobody was going around saying tomatoes better than they are. I'm the one that would create that. So you begin to really notice what you're doing. Just learning from the way you are, you know, just around this sense of your position and relationship to others. So then the structure of monasticism because it, it wasn't up to me to, to uh, rearrange it or design it. I just accepted it because it made life easy. Because I wasn't interested in, in trying to, to make things the way I wanted them to be on that level. And the whole point was to, to awaken to the, to the Dhamma, to the way it is. So that's what I encourage in in practice to, and this takes a lot of trust in your, in, in your ability to awaken to this present moment. To me, uh, it's like awakening to life. Some people think we, we just sit here and go to sleep, you know, going to some 
kind of rarefied conscious state. You know, and all the problems of the world are around this. You know, the terrorism, the 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 star, the famines in Africa, uh, the 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 wars and the endless conflicts and the all the problems that we see and just here in Britain um, and in this monastery, you know, one can just fill one's mind with, with all the problems or potential problems in, in this particular place and, and then worry about it. Or you can worry endlessly about your, you know, if you're still very attached and identified with your with your idea, I'm a monk, and um, I keep the vinaya, and I'm very, I've got to do it like this, I've got to do it like that. And then, then because of the delusion of self, it's always there's always this sense of of doubt about yourself or guilt. How can you keep all those rules perfectly all the time? You know, and when you think about it, it just seems hopeless. So obviously that wasn't what they were there for, to make us feel more guilty and intimidated, but to, to guide us, to reflect from, so we could begin to get in touch, begin to notice just what the kind of mental state we were having. You know, there's a, uh, anxiety. A lot of them, you know, the, the more mindful you are, the more you're aware of, of subtle movements. Just slight tinges of, of some mood or habit goes through consciousness. So you become, you know, you, the more you trust in the awareness, you, the more you begin to notice subtleties, not to mention the, the uh, coarser aspects our experiences. So faith then is, you know, I, I teach a lot now, trying to encourage that sadha in practice and in awareness, in your own ability, not in me or in any external thing, but, but learn to trust in your own intuitive sense, not in your opinions and views. You know, after this 36 years in the song, I still don't trust my opinions and views. But I trust an, an awareness. And so, so that to me is the, then the wisdom and the faith and wisdom balance each other through awareness, through mindfulness. So this was the very first teaching I ever received from my upachaya in Thailand. I became a novice, a samanera, 1966. And he said to me, his first teaching was, repeat after me. And of course, I, I couldn't speak Thai then. He couldn't speak English. So they had another monk there, who a translator. He said, he wants you to repeat after <laughs> He said, satta. I go, Sada, Viriya, Viriya, Sati, Sati, Samadhi, Samadhi, Panya, Panya. Now say it all together. Forgot it already. <laughs> so he kept making me repeat it. So I learned it like a mantra, like a parrot, you know. You know Sata Viri Sati Samadhi Panya, Sata Viri Sati Samadhi Panya. So I didn't even know what it was. Because I didn't even have any books. <laughs> so so uh, I, I practiced just saying that to myself. Sata Viri Sati Samadhi Panya. Sata. And it did, you know, like, like a mantra. It began, I began to, you know, because I would use it like a mantra, then my mind would would kind of cathect on those words. In fact, I didn't know, you know, where one word ended and the other began. It all sounded like one thing. So then, uh, 
then, uh, then he later came and he said, no, he said, uh, in regards to Sattha, Virya, Sati, Samadhi, Panya, he said, um, he said, Sattha and Panya, if you're mindful, Sati is the balance point, and if there's Sati, then the Sattha and Panya will be equal, balance each other, and the Virya, effort, and Samadhi concentration will be equal. You know, so if you're too, if there's too much panya, too much um, uh, effort, and, uh, and 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 just willful, like willful uh, self effort, that's why I couldn't get anywhere with it. You can't sustain it. You know, there's no way you can sustain that kind of effort. So, uh, and, and because I'm a doubter, I didn't have any faith, you know, so I didn't, I wasn't patient enough just to wait and see or trust and, and be. I was, you know, I'm going to get this through an act of will. And because I'm an intelligent person and I could understand things easily, so I figured out Buddhism on that level quite, you know, it didn't take me long to figure that out uh, on the intellectual side. But to practice it, taken 37, <laughs> and I don't know how many more I've got left. So then this, and now I find after 37 years that the sadha is very strong. Because, uh, you know, this where at first a sata was just enough to get me into the monastic life. You know, you have to have something that, you know, there's enough belief and, and appreciation for Buddhist monasticism to take the, the going forth, you know. So that, was, that got me into it. But then the, then the, the, uh, the momentum of doubting, thinking, analyzing, would take over the mind, and I'd get caught up into that in the, in the monastic life. But over the years, as you, with awareness, you began to, I began to see through that, see the suffering, how I could, you know, I was actually, in my monastic life, I've been very fortunate, and I had very good teachers, and, and, and you know, I can't complain. Uh, I can't blame the suffering I've had as a monk on, on the situations I've been in. I kind I don't, you know, in Thailand I felt I was treated very well and, and, you know, everybody was eager to support and help me in any way they could. So I, I, you know, I haven't had a, even a good excuse. To, to, so that obviously something, you know, in me that creates suffering and that, that became very apparent. How I'm the creator of dukkha through this ignorance. And so pursuing that, reflecting on that over and over again for years, then, you know, the penny drops and you begin to see, yeah, like that. And, uh, and then uh, the sadha becomes strong, powerful. Thing. And that is where, now I feel a sense of of, of just tremendous being at ease in awareness. And, you know, being at ease in the, within the limits of the monastic form. Feeling relaxed and at ease within the structures that I've chosen to use for, for living in and, and practicing in. <coughs> So, I offer this as a reflection and encouragement to Jyoti Panya. <laughs> Don't think too much about what you've got yourself into. <laughs> and say, just keep going, you know. <laughs>